Hi, I'm Shereen Fatek, and you're listening to Making Marketing by Digiday. Every week, I talk to executives changing the marketing playbook for the industry one decision at a time. Call it the Marie Kondo effect. Resale has taken on a life of its own. One of the leaders in the space is ThreadUp, online fashion resale marketplace that's growing from strength to strength with a new round of funding and a new service platform. Joining me today is president of ThreadUp, Anthony Marino. Hi, Anthony. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Shereen. It's great to be here. We're so excited to have you. Okay, let's let's start with the real basics because I think while most people on listening to this podcast are mostly familiar with ThreadUp, I'm definitely familiar with it. As I mentioned, I've sold a coat on there before. Um, I'd love to just get a basic understanding of what is ThreadUp and the space that is occupying right now in the industry. Sure. So it's it's great to be here. And so what is ThreadUp? We're the really the largest fashion resale site and with an emphasis on the word resale. So everything that ThreadUp sells is secondhand. It's used, women's and kids' apparel, shoes, accessories, handbags. And the source of all of that amazing product are the closets across America. It turns out that people buy a lot of stuff. And <laughs> uh, even when they don't need to buy more, they they buy more. In fact, if you look at some recent statistics... In the United States, people buy on average 65 to 70 new items every year, and they wear them maybe six or seven times and when then you never put it again. like that, it sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? It does, because most people say, I don't. I don't buy. That's somebody <laughs> else who buys 70 things. And then you're like, let's take a look at your Visa card bill <laughs> for the past six months and just start adding it up. Yeah. And so ThreadUp was founded on this insight that people have lots of things in their closet, and those things accumulate, and they really don't have a super convenient way to clean those things out. Mm-hmm. And so we make it super easy for them to come to ThreadUp and order what we call a clean-out bag, which is like a hamper-sized green polka dot bag, and we send it to you for free. And you can fill it up with women's and kids' apparel, shoes, accessories, handbags. And we pick it up for free. It has a smart label on it. And then we take those items, we process them at one of our four distribution centers that are across the U.S., and then we list those items online to sell, and then we pay you for the items that uh, that we sell. So you, you you mentioned kind of, you know, the, that research itself is really fascinating to me because I'm curious about how much research you yourselves were doing as you've kind of evolved and grown the platform. You're talking to people all the time. You've got a ton of data on these people because they're signing up, they're sending you things. How does this kind of all work together when it comes to as you've grown the company and evolved it, and we're about to talk about that in a little bit, um, how are you using all this information and how are you getting all this information? So in the early days when the company was founded, it was it was really founded in a moment where our one of our co-founders, James Reinhardt, looked into his closet and he just had this feeling that it was a closet that was full, but there was nothing in it that he wanted to wear. <laughs> and so that was, and then his experience trying to get rid of the things that were in his closet in a responsible way were just really hard. You know, it was, he did, he really didn't have the time. I think he was in graduate school at the time. He didn't have the time to take a bunch of pictures and put them on eBay. And the thought of kind of packing them into a box and getting on his bike in Cambridge, Massachusetts and driving them to a store, a thrift store to then wait online or wait, yeah, in a line for them to yeah. pick his items and price his items. That sounded awful. Sure. And so he and you don't thought, want to just donate it because he, these yeah, are expensive things he, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, he, um, he needed to, he was sort of a, a poor student back then. So in the early days, the research was, it was, it was experience. And then 
we started to talk to people and turns out that, you know, 60, 70% of what's in people's closets goes unworn. So that, that's what was kind of the early days of the, the kind of the aha moment. Since then, this year, we will publish our seventh annual uh, resale report, which is sort of like, um, you know, our annual report, but on the resale industry. And it's a little bit of our own data, but most of it is third-party insights that's captured from a research firm called Global Data. Mm -hmm. And so they talk to a bunch of shoppers in the U.S. and just try to, we ask, we've been asking now the same questions every year. And so it's interesting to see how people's perceptions of secondhand, acceptance of secondhand, the role it plays in their lives, sort of the cultural um, changes that are driving its adoption, it sort of gets captured in that report. And it's fascinating. You can, you can read it on our on our website. And um, it's just amazing how things have changed over time. But you guys have also changed as a company. You're not just doing, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think you've actually coined a new term called resale as a service, which when I first read in a story that one of our reporters did, I was like, this is not a real, real phrase. <laughs> yeah. We can't use up made up phrases companies are using. But I've seen that crop up more and more. And yeah. I think, you know, the, the service element that you've essentially added to ThreadUp and making it more of a platform versus marketplace. And I know the word platform kind of gets used and abused. It does. Um, but that is essentially what you've tried to do. Talk to me a little bit about sort of the beginnings of this idea of we can do more than we're currently doing and we should be working with retail stores. We should be working with these companies to grow the business. So you used all the perfect words and I'm going to have to, you, you sort of like framed it perfectly. So in, in the beginning, the insight around that sellers have, or that people have too much stuff in their closets, what was like, okay, we need to build a marketplace so they can find somebody who values those things. And so we had this idea of, you know, we were connecting sellers and buyers. But what's happened over the past several years is we saw the opportunity to plug brands into that same platform and to plug retailers into that platform. So I'll sort of give you a couple examples. In the in the early days, we realized that, you know, brands increasingly and retailers care about doing the right thing by the environment. So a lot of people already know that the apparel and textile industry is like the second most polluting industry on the planet and will incinerate or landfill, you know, a, a garbage truck full of textiles just about every second. It's like a stunning number and it's a real thing. I mean, this is a, this is a real problem. And, um, and so a lot of retailers and brands have started to say, how can we get in front of it? How can we communicate to our customers that we're trying to be part of the solution rather than the problem? So one of the ways is we work with brands on essentially what we call like an apparel upcycling or recycling program where we, like we do this with Reformation, where Reformation says to their customers, hey, send, thread up your, you know, the clothing that you're no longer wearing, and and we will then send that customer shopping credit on Reformation. So it's a, it's a huge win. So we started to learn through those initial upcycling programs that mm. brands and retailers were interested in participating somehow in the resale economy, they just didn't know how. So, so they were approaching you and they were saying, is this is this something we want to do? Because a lot of these resellers also at the same time started coming up in the last year with their own upcycling, circular fashion programs. That's true. We should give credit to the Eileen Fishers of the world who have done amazing work mm -hmm. here, you know, long before it was cool. And they were doing it for themselves. They were powering resale experiences in their own store. So there's some real pioneers like Eileen Fisher, we and we have a huge admiration for her and her team and what and what they've done. But yeah, it was a combination of of us going out there and talking about resale, and it was a combination of brands saying, "Hey!" And there were a number of brands who did things like 
bring your genes in, mm-hmm. you know, and I get a discount. That. So those like swap gene programs, all those things are, are fantastic. The thing is, is that it's really hard for brands and retailers to do those at scale. So when a brand tries to do that, and then at the end of the week, they're sitting in a, they have a store with 5,000 pairs of jeans in it that are secondhand. They're like, what are we going to do with this stuff? And so what ThreadUp can do is just, we can do all the work. We can power those programs so that their customers can send those jeans to us or they can drop them off at a, at a retailer's store if they want. And some retailers want that, that foot traffic. Mm-hmm. And then we can take those, those jeans and donate them. We can sell them on our platform uh, so we, we can really do a lot of the hard work because it turns out that um, processing unique items of clothing by the millions, which is what we do now in any given moment, there's there's millions of items of clothing coursing through our logistics mm-hmm. network. Um, it's it, it takes a lot of work to get to that scale to be able to photograph items, price them, attribute them. So the, the technology and operations that powers resale is is really significant. And so when brands start to think about doing this on their own, they explore it with the, with the exception of a few who are very brave, like the Eileen Fishers of the world, they explore it. And then they're like, oh my goodness, what, we, how can we do this? And so they're then starting to reach out to us, which is wonderful. But that's and exactly because I mean, you know, say I'm a, if I'm a clothing brand, it's detracting from the core of my business model itself too. If I start going down this path that it's not something you can kind of do half-heartedly. You really have to go all in and start building a real infrastructure, which is where you come in. You can, you have the infrastructure. But for you guys, did that feel like a pivot as a business model when you started sort of saying, okay, not only can we just talk directly to consumers and have them send us stuff like we were doing, we can also then play and work with the brands themselves. Did it feel like a different company? No, I think so. It wasn't so much a, a pivot that we were working and are, are starting to work with brands and retailers because when we zoom out, there's a couple, there's really a couple things we're trying to do really, really well at ThreadUp. The first thing we're trying to do is make it just super easy for people to clean out their closets with us. And so if we can extend that service to their favorite retailers or the places where they go, the department stores where they go, the coffee shop where they go, the beauty salon where they go, whatever, you can pick any location. If we can make it easy for them to to, to drop their items off, then that is, that's an extension of how we um, serve them. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the buyer side, we want to be listing every day the freshest, most desirable, most varied series of amazing secondhand apparel brands. And so the more, the better. And, um, and we've learned a lot about consumer behavior on the demand side of our marketplace. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll process, you know, just about an item every second now. And so our ability to list a fresh item, something new, or maybe not brand new, but something new to the ThreadUp site mm-hmm. every second is really a very exciting customer experience for shoppers who are treasure hunters mm-hmm. and who may come to the site at nine o'clock today and they maybe they they search for that Burberry barn coat that they've always wanted but they never wanted to buy new but they'll come back at noon and they'll be like oh there it is so we're constantly listing things and you can set filters and search parameters so that we'll send you a notification with items that are in your brand and size and by any parameter you want to you want to save a search on we'll let you know when they come in so when you know when we zoom out and look at some of the core jobs we're doing for both sellers and buyers working with brands and retailers to get great supply, to make it easy for people to drop off their supply. And now increasingly, 
uh, you know, what we're doing with some our department store partners like Macy's and others is we're actually putting secondhand product into their physical stores. So this is the this is another element of our resale as a service platform. And you know, when if you would have asked us four or five years ago if we thought we'd be doing this, we probably it wouldn't have been the first thing that had come out of our mouth. But we're we're just seeing what customers are asking for. You know, as part of our 2018 or 2019 resale report, we asked customers, "Hey, would you uh, buy more from your favorite retailer if they also sold secondhand product?" And so we asked, you know, I think five, six thousand uh, women in the survey, and then we kind of pivoted the data by the type of retailer that they said was their favorite, whether it was an off-price retailer like uh, like TJ Maxx, or if it was a brand like Madewell, or if it was um, Target or Walmart, or if it was Gap or Banana, and across the board, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 percent of their customers said, I would buy more from this retailer if they also sold secondhand. So, the, And that's a great pitch for the retailer. I mean, if I was a retailer, I'd say that those are numbers worth looking into. So for us, it was just really following the customer, and if they want to see amazing secondhand product in different places, then we should be we should be getting it to those places. What if, and would this ever even come up, or is this too far from the thesis of ThreadUp that sell brand new? You've got great relationships with retailers. Um, you've got an existing, existing customer database with lots of info. So you know that I've been looking for that, that one Burberry coat, you know my size. Um, you could say, okay, well, what if I start selling you the new stuff um, and work with other brands to then essentially act as a marketplace? Or is that, is that just, that's the one thing we won't do? Or is that a possibility? ThreadUp's mission is to inspire a new generation of shoppers to think secondhand first. And it's not that we um, don't see value in new clothing. Of course we do. It's, you know, it's in some ways it's the, it's the, the fuel of, the, of our business. But it's not what we do. We want to take clothing that is, is undervalued in someone's closet. It's undervalued to its current owner. It's sort of stranded on a hanger or in a drawer or in one of those clear plastic bins that everyone buys 10 of at Target and then, you know, jams into their garage or their attic. We want to get <laughs> those things. Have you been in my house? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We know they're there. We know everybody's got those things because I have them too. And so... You know, we're trying to get clothing out of those places and into places where they're valuable to someone. And we just think that's that's doing some good. You know, it's saving people money. And we think it's the right, you know, the, the right kind mm-hmm. of move for the planet, too. Yeah, that's the mission. Uh, talk to me about the economics of working with retail partners. How does how do you sort of work out specific deals, specific percentages? Because they're different for each one, right? So, yeah. So we're not talking about our our economics with our retail partners. Um, for, except that they exist. <laughs> for the, yeah, except there is, there are economics somewhere in there. Yeah, we're not, we're not talking too much about those, but with our upcycling partners like Reformation or Kiana, it's, it's very straightforward. Their, their customers uh, can get a, uh, I'll pick Reformation again, a Reformation branded clean out bag and fill it with any brands they want. So they don't have to just put Reformation things in their in that bag, and then they send those things to us, and then we pay them in Reformation credit. And Reformation actually tops it off hmm. with uh, another, I think, 10 or 20%, and they, they work uh, fabulously well. It makes the customer really happy because they can, they can clean out and get money to spend at their favorite uh, brand or retailer. It makes the brand really happy because it's driving incremental purchase, and we have tons of data to show that that's 
that's the case and it makes us happy because we get high quality supply and uh, and we get a little bit more you know exposure for the brand. How has kind of scaling the company um, changed the company? Because you mentioned this earlier. Um, I mean, so many of these companies are, you know, rent the runway likes to say, hey, we're actually a dry cleaning business. And, you know, you guys have an army of people that are assessing the clothing. You've got all of these things going on behind the scenes that act as, I assume, a pretty strong overhead, but that's it's also so integral to the brand itself. What is surprising or what would be surprising to somebody who doesn't know or appreciate the scale of this thing about the logistics operation behind ThreadUp? I think the operations and technology platform that powers resale would really surprise people. So if you ever go to one of our four distribution facilities, they're, you know, they're the largest garment on hanger facilities in the world. So they have conveyors and carousels and, you know, hundreds of thousands of items come into those facilities every day. Those items are individually photographed, attributed, quality checked, priced. Don't forget like how hard it is to price when you take an item out of somebody's throw up clean out bag or out of a box that they send it to us in. The, the item doesn't come with a barcode on it. There's nothing for us to scan. So we have to divine from our data set now, which is massive of unique items that we've sold and from attributes that we can collect from that item of clothing, what it's worth and can we sell it in a given period of time at a gross profit that's, mm-hmm. you know, acceptable to us. So we do that, uh, that calculation millions of times a day. Do you dynamically change prices? If something's we, not selling or... We do. Okay. Yeah. So we do. Our, our Just about every item on our site is is dynamically priced quite frequently based on a whole range of factors. So that's a surprising bit. My other question was, you mentioned eBay too earlier. Um, and I think that's such an interesting, because like resale, as you've bought things and resold them, has existed as a concept for many, many years. There have been thrift stores. And um, and I think eBay was sort of one of the pioneers of the place you can dig around to find the thing you don't really know at a price that you can't believe, right? Um, but I think your mission sort of almost lends itself to saying, like, we have to be premium. How has how is sort of translating and making the premiumness of ThreadUp changed, again, how the site looks, how your operations look, how the bag looks? How do you imbue sort of a sense of, this isn't eBay, you know, this, yeah. is, this isn't just like a place you dig around in the bargain bin for? It's, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great point, and it's something that we've worked on from the very, very, very early days. So one of the things that was really important to us, again, if, you're, if the mission is going to be to inspire a new generation of shoppers to think secondhand first, well, inspires like a high bar. <laughs> it's you know, and so we had to make sure that um, when somebody, when a buyer received their thread up order, and when they open up that beautiful craft box and they unwrap the the green polka dot tissue paper that their clothing is wrapped in, and they peel off the little sticker that says "Sealing Deal" since two thousand nine, <laughs> we wanted it to be like a moment that kind of blew them away, where they were like, "Wait." This is this stuff is used like this is incredible, and so the the process and effort that goes into leading up to that box opening moment is one that we constantly improve and one that we've you know really pioneered at, at very large scale. And some of it has to do with you know it's everything about it, how we photograph those items so that you can actually see what you're buying. You know, it's simple things. It's it's things that are much easier in typical retail where you can take one picture. 
and then sell 10,000 units of something you took one picture of. In our business, you take one picture or sometimes, you know, we take a front and back picture and depending on the item, Mm -hmm. sometimes multiple pictures and you sell just one of it. One of it, you know, it is in, it is what the ops people <laughs> the call unit it. economics. It's in each. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is in each. So we've really built a bunch of systems and process and technology to really put those items through a series of steps around attributing and photography and quality checking. And with each stage in that process, that item goes from being sort of this anonymous, you know, sad thing that came to us in a bag to being a valuable, desirable, knowable asset to mm-hmm. someone else and um and that's just a really that that's that's sort of the heart of what the thread up uh infrastructure and ops platform is is built on that's really fascinating because um I sort of think about, you know, what are things that people collect? People collect watches, for example. And watches exist in an industry or category where it's completely okay and very accepted and has been for years and years to resell and buy used watches because it's actually the older it is, it's probably the rarer it is. Um, and I think companies like and magazines and publishers like Hodinkee have done a great job of taking content and building content around this. Like, it's not just a watch you're buying. It's a watch that has a story and something attached to it. Do you think about sort of content as part of your marketing around this? Or have you sort of thought about how you're going to extend and make it make it feel like a collectible rather than a used handbag or a used coat? It really depends on the item. So it's, it's probably not entirely practical for us to build a narrative around every item. Everything <laughs> isn't like a Patek Philippe pair. Yeah, like exactly. There's there's probably some things that are more that that have more natural stories to be told than others. Um, but so so we don't do that. <laughs> I'll just tell you should. straight up. Um, we fo- believe it or not, we focus much more on get the photo right, mm. get the attributes right, get the color right, the fabric content, the quality. And for a for a shopper who is online, either just browsing or looking for something, that's very valuable information to them. Yeah. There are times when we've done on the on the marketing side some more storytelling about the people who are, uh, you know, people who inspire us who are thread up shoppers, and so we'll tell more of their stories so that people can get a, pers- a sense of who are the other people shopping on thread up. Are they like me? Are they are they sort of pure value shoppers? Are they putting together, is for them thrifting a part of self-expression or is it about their wallet? So mm. those are tend to be the stories we try to tell a little bit more to get people to see that um, there's sort of a thrifter in everyone. Yeah. And is there like a, is there, a, do you think there's still a sense of like stigma around this that you talk or wonder about? It's just as part of your marketing that you're saying, we do have to get, we can't have any, you can't have stigma associated with it. And you know, there might still be oh, this idea of a bargain hunter thrifter that you don't really want to lean into. So so it's interesting. We've done a bunch of research on the word thrift, and um, it turns out that it means kind of different things hmm. to different people. And just to summarize what we learned, um, you know, the word thrift is the younger you get, the cooler the word is. The older you get, the more you attach meanings to that term that aren't necessarily like positive but it's but it's changing really quickly Mm. and that's been kind of what's been so fascinating about the past few years and resale as a service and how we're working with brands and retailers and just the growth and awareness of of secondhand in in general um is that 
the, those you know words words become words that were sort of out of vogue come into vogue again, and people's perceptions change. I mean, I think when you and and it's, this we see this all the time in markets. I mean, it, it's hard for people to believe now, but there was a time when online dating was not something that you would do. Oh, I remember. I'm and, old enough. <laughs> yeah. So you know, the, and then there were times when this idea of you know coming to a new city and staying in a stranger's apartment. And renting it for the night was something that mm-hmm. you wouldn't do. Hopping into a stranger's car. So the the examples go on and on. Right. So I think people, companies are using technology and information to kind of take all of the friction out of those experiences. And I think secondhand similar. Yeah. And and it also, again, going back to the it depends point, a, a, a giving consumers perception of a secondhand purse or handbag might be different from their perception of a T-shirt. Mm. So it's sort of like there's this there's this spectrum of acceptability. And sort of just about anybody will take a, a secondhand Louis Vuitton bag. Heck, uh, what's wrong with you know, as long as it's as long as it's clean. But there might be some people who are like secondhand Lululemon le- leggings. Like, I don't know. But I'll tell you that on ThreadUp we sell a lot <laughs> of secondhand Lululemon <laughs> leggings. Um, so then ha- that brings me then to a good point, which is who is your customer? And I know I've heard lots of people at ThreadUp in various interviews say everyone's our customer, but how are you then focusing your marketing energies and your your energies in general on acquiring new customers? Because there has to be some place you have to start focusing and say, these are the people that are most receptive, probably younger, and what's worked in terms of acquiring new customers for you and getting people more and more people onto the platform? So there's there's no um, demographic classification. So that's sort of one thing. When I came to to ThreadUp uh, six seven years ago, I came from from Virgin, you know, from a from a brand that had, um, you know, a very very specific, at least at its core, demographic classification. And but when I came to ThreadUp, I assumed that everyone shopping on ThreadUp were going to be these like bargain hunting because they're buying secondhand clothing, but it's just not the case. Mm. It's it's demographically very broad. It's geographically very broad. It is economically um, very broad. But what I will tell you is, is that there are different sort of contexts people are in when they come to thread up to shop. So some are moms who are sort of like stocking up for their kids. Some are professional women who, you know... They're gonna. They don't want to wear the same dress two, three, four times, and so may as well buy it secondhand. It's not like I'm gonna wear it till it's threadbare. It's just. A, it's a smarter way to buy it. Then there are people who for whom shopping is entertainment, and so they want to see what's new, and they want to sort of browse and look and engage in the treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, some customers get sort of this emotional surge from. Uh, a splurge on a brand that they can buy secondhand that they would have never bought right. otherwise. So you've got all these segments. Yeah. So, so then does your marketing become pretty complicated? Because then all these people w- probably respond to different platforms to advertise on, to different prompts to, ad- to react to. What's, I don't know, what's what's surprising about your marketing strategy? Or, and what also just works really well that you know you're going to, that you know you're going to go all in on? So so I think we I think we take a pretty... So we advertise across all, you know, we don't have any sort of high concentrations of our marketing spend. But to your point, we definitely get 
a bit more targeted in in some channels than another. So there are there are some channels where it's it's very much based on value, and others where it's more, um, you know, secondhand as an expression of your individuality. Because mm. everybody can go to the store and buy that that same thing. But when you take when you sort of put together your own combination, that's really uniquely you. And that's we're seeing that uh, sort of an interesting less direct response-y kind of stimulus mm. that's that's working. Um, so so I think we're generally, we're pretty broad. We're targeted in our our channels based on what we know about customers in those channels. But probably the most important thing is that when they come to the, to the site, and this goes back to your point earlier, that they find something that that is attractive and desirable to them. And so we spend a lot of time making sure that we have the right kind of supply and that it's uh, easily shopped and that we can get people into the right type of seasonal assortments if mm-hmm. that's what's on their mind. If they're, if they're a ser- somebody who really knows what they want and they want to search and filter, we want to make sure they have the tools that the power user wants. If there's someone who wants to you know, save a search because they want a DVF wrap dress but they're never going to buy it new, they'll set that search. So we try to create a product platform, whether it's in their mobile app or on the site, that can kind of capture people where they are. Whether, well, you also need them coming back as often as possible. And what really helps is when you're listing new things all the time, there's always a reason to come back. And You've so got a reason to email them and say, hey, the thing happened. Exactly. And it's and it's super relevant to them. So it's not just like, hey, here's a bunch of stuff that we're going to, you know, that maybe you're going to like. It's, hey, like, we know that you like J. Yeah. Crew and you want denim. And so here's a bunch of new new J. Crew denim that's freshly listed on the site, and it gets people really excited, and it brings them back. I think lots of people talk so much about acquiring customers, and I'm wondering if, obviously, that's important. You need new customers. But is kind of retention more your focus? Because the more people keep coming back, the better, better it is for you, and you the more you're learning about them. How much are you sort of your energy, at least especially personally, do you spend on saying, let's make sure we are really focused on retention and not losing people at some point during their lifetime with us? Yeah, I'd say 70 to 80% of my energy is on retention. <laughs> That's good. Because everyone's obsessed and with acquisition. Yeah, it's um, because it's really hard to make, you know, the, the economics of acquiring a new customer work if you're, you have a really leaky bucket. Especially right now. <laughs> and... Um, and exactly right. Facebook's not getting any any cheaper or easier for for any advertisers, and there's and there's not a ton of options out there if you are a, a performance minded advertiser. So uh, the retention part is one of the things you can actually have more control over. You can't control any of these auctions when you're when you're bidding for ad space. You can't control the seasonality of the ads business. Increasingly, uh, ad platforms are are rolling into their tools very, very powerful targeting tools that otherwise uh, companies like ours may have built in-house in the past that gave us an edge. Google and Facebook and others are now instead of rolling that out to everyone. So, so everyone can do really so, deep, really good targeting. So they're commoditizing all the all the things that we thought, um, you know, that some other, the, the advanced advertisers thought made them so smart. And so now you've got to figure out, you just have to run a better business. You have to get the right product at the right price and communicate with customers in the right way. Those are the things you can control. Right. And so you have to play the the best 
acquisition game you can, but the retention game should be on your terms. It's your product experience and you control that. And that's where we spend a, a bunch of our time making sure that's getting better and better and better week over week. Yeah. I almost feel like there's this like resurgence of, there was so much emphasis placed, especially in the last couple of years, especially as new direct to consumer brands came up on like, as long as you build a brand on Facebook and Instagram and get it right and get all the targeting right, you'd be fine. But I think there is, the pendulum's coming back and saying, oh, we need to get the other stuff right because we can't we can't build an entire company or grow an entire company just at the whims of the platforms. And so that's where you hear more of the content. I hear I hear the word sort of storytelling. I'm going to hear it every five years or so. But yeah, definitely there's a recognition that the brand is important and it can't just be about like performance marketing and it's at its basic, basic level. Yeah. I mean, I think brands, you know, they have to decide, you know, wh- what they want to be, and I think that's a the number one question is, is what is the customer value? And there are brands um, that I'll pick Amazon that you know you could sort of sit here and say, well, geez, what's Amazon's brand? Well, their brand is is when I order it tonight, it comes tomorrow, and that makes me really happy. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's their brand. There's a there's a logistics platform that supports an experience that is very that delivers a lot of value there are some brands that may be more you know sort of emotionally engaging because it's it's identity type type marketing you're like i identify with that type of product and i love their influencers that they work with and all that kind of thing for for us you know we have this conversation internally all the time about what kind of brand do we want to be do we want to be sort of functionally driven Mm. and or do we want to tell a story about, you know, how buying secondhand product makes a difference, how it um, helps our shoppers be more sustainable and make good decisions. We actually think those are powerful stories to tell. So we, we want to be a little of both, but you sort of can't, uh, it's always tempting to want to, you know, to make the storytelling a huge emphasis. Yeah. But sometimes the customer just also wants you to get out of the way, <laughs> let them find the product and it better show up fast. You and know, just give me, give me that. Give me my DVF stuff. Wrap dress. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Last question for you. How much did Marie Kondo's whole thing in the U.S. like really, really affect you guys? Because there was so much talk, right? especially when the Netflix show came out. And I think thrift stores across the country had lines or something like that. But did it affect you? It it did. It affected us in a in a good way. We 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 saw a spike in our receipt and request of our clean out bags and labels. I mean, it's just it just for for me. It just reminded me of how uh, the Netflix homepage is an incredibly <laughs> powerful thing. I mean, she, that's the marketing tool. She, for yeah, you. she was up there for quite some time. So I think it. But I think it 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 tapped into a, a zeitgeist that was like well underway. So. Uh, you and I, you know, before the show started, we're talking about kind of these cultural, you know, times we go through and how people's perceptions of things change. You know, people have, have had, you know, busy and crowded closets and garages for a really long time. And it's just now where they're saying, well, there's got to be a better way than for all this stuff to sit here. There's got to be a better way to, to, you know, extract value from it, do something good for the environment, and maybe even you know, put it into the hands of somebody else who will really appreciate it. And we think there's something really rewarding in that. And um, it's it's incredible to be able to build a business that can perform that service on one side of the marketplace for people with too much stuff, but put great product in the hands of buyers on the other side for whom that stuff is a real uh, a real treasure. Sorry, life-changing magic of actually tidying up. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's all for today's episode of Making Marketing, a show by Digiday. Thank you for listening. Our producer is Pierre Bien-Aimé. If you like the show, here's what you need to do. Head to your iTunes store, search for a show, Making Marketing, leave us a review and a rating. I'll also read my favorite reviews here at the end of the show. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.